You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good evening, Southridge. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing great? Wasn't that just a powerful time of worship? Can we just thank the Lord one more time and just be able to come together and worship in his presence? I want to thank the worship team. Just powerful. Just powerful. I'm so grateful for God already moving and already stirring in our hearts as we prepare to open the word. And I don't know about you, but if you came just to receive that moment of worship, we are blessed this evening. And uh, as we uh, take our Bibles to prepare to uh, hear from God, let's turn to the book of Joshua, chapter number 6. A great book, many of our favorites. Uh, Joshua, chapter number 6, we're beginning a new series entitled Divine Direction. Divine Direction. The reason we're diving into this series and a new topic is because we oftentimes get lost, don't we? We lose our way. Especially in this season, over the last year, today marks the one-year anniversary that we were told just two weeks and we'll be right back. That's the longest two weeks of my life. I don't know about you. But here we are a year later from what has begun, because that was the last time our church met in before the pandemic started, was it one year ago on what we would call Time Change Sunday. We were at the uh, uh, Windham Hotel. Uh, Pastor Pete Ramirez brought the word. And then that next week, our country kind of went into uh, just the throes of everything that comes along with the pandemic and everything we've been suffering and working through. But yet here, here God's brought us safely. Here we are. And uh, many of us have, uh, have gone through some difficulties. It's not been easy. We're not here to make light of it or anything like that. But yet it's been difficult. And one of the things that's come out of this season is the fact that I've heard so many people uh, talk about decisions that they're making, plans that they have, goals and directions that they're headed. But it's almost as if God is the afterthought in all of this. It's almost as if you've asked them, well, well, where did you come up with your reasoning, your decision for this? And many times it's almost like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't think to consult with my creator. I didn't think to pray and discern his direction. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I've been lost because I trusted a map. I trusted a guide. Maybe uh, you've experienced the same thing. Ever gotten lost? Ever gotten lost when you were a little kid in a store? Uh, Ever gotten lost as you were hiking through the forest, maybe? How many of you would be honest enough to say, you get lost just driving around San Jose? Yeah, there we go, there we go. Uh, yeah, we've gotten lost before. We, we know the discomfort of getting lost. And in that moment when we're lost, we just want direction. We just want to know, how do I get back to that destination? How do I get to this location? In 2013, my wife and I were traveling around, beginning to plant Southridge Church, and we were sharing the vision, sharing the burden with other churches, and a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma flew us out there, and we needed to get on a plane and get back to California, and it was early in the morning, and we had two kids at the time, and so we needed to make it to the airport, and you know, anytime you travel with children, that in and of itself is a job. That is just like you've got car seats, you've got uh, strollers, you've got uh, pack and plays. You've, you've used up your free baggage just on your kid's stuff. Like you don't, you don't have any place to put the clothes. You're going to pay to travel with your clothes because the kids are going to take up all your free bags, all right? And so we've got to get to the airport, and I'm following Google Maps, and I'm listening to Google Maps. And at the back of the Tulsa airport is a big reservoir type thing, swamp type thing. And for whatever reason, that's where the map wanted to take us. And we're, we're going to be late for a flight because I'm following this map. And, it, and my wife and I, we remember this. When we went there, we just couldn't figure it out. Finally, yes, we did make it back. But in this October, this last October, my sister is getting married. And it, where she was getting married, the cheapest place to fly into was once again Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, it's been seven years since I've been back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
And I'm pretty consistent. I kind of, if I, if I use an app, I'm going to use an app again. Like I, some of you are into Waze. That's good. Good for you. Use Waze. Some of you are like, oh, I use Google uh, or I use Apple Maps. That's good for you. Some of you have still a GPS Garmin. You're using the Garmin and you could change the voices to a British voice. Good for you, whatever you're using. Or some of you are like, hey, I got my spouse and they just got a sixth sense to find directions. Well, I was back in Tulsa, Oklahoma this last October. Once again, my brother and I, we need to fly out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, because I need to get back, because that was the night of our revival. So I was trying to get back. I didn't have time to be late, so I need to make it there. But once again, I'm using Google Maps. And surely, I thought, in seven years, Google Maps will update the fact that the airport is not where this swamp is. And once again, Google Maps done did me wrong. Larry Page, we got, I got words for you, Larry Page. We need to correct your Google Maps. I was trusting the guide. I was trusting something that I thought had the correct directions. And yet today I find people trusting a guide, trusting something to get them to a destination because no one wants to be lost. And we call this when, it, when ultimately we want to get somewhere because when it comes to following God, he has a divine direction. It's called God's will. And maybe growing up, you've heard people talk about God's will. The Bible college that my wife and I went to would always talk about God's will. They would preach about God's will. They would say, are you following God's will? Are you living in God's will? They would even say, hey, guys, you need to marry God's will. Find that woman that is God's will. Or to the ladies, they would say, hey, you need to find the man that is God's will. They, they were always hyping up God's will, always talking about God's will. And God's will ultimately had this idea that it would determine who you became and what you accomplished. That's God's will. God's will is ultimately who you will become and what you will accomplish with your life. And so we focused on God's will. I heard preaching and theologians talk about it. As a matter of fact, Drake even wrote a song entitled, not God's will, but God's plan. So people talk about this thing of God's will and people look at it, but you and I, we get hung up on God's will, don't we? Like, how is COVID-19 God's will? If everything's God's will, and I know theologians will talk about, well, there's God's uh, perfect will, and then there's his permissive will. Well, there's still this thing where we get hung up with, how did that good person get cancer and pass away? That's God's will? Well, well how come this family cannot have children, and this family it does have children? Where is God's will in this? How come this person struggles financially, but this person who looks less deserving does not struggle financially? Is, is that God's will? Or we do this. Is it God's will for me to date him or to date her? Is it God's will for me to move there or to go there? And, and then we just kind of think, well, maybe it's all just chance. Or maybe we just think it's just luck of the draw. But one thing I know about you is the same thing that I know about me. We want to know when to hold them and when to fold them. We just want to know. We just want to know what should I do? Because isn't it frustrating to do this whole hindsight 2020? To kind of look back and say, yeah, well, if I could change that, I would do this, this, and this. And, and, and we don't want to have regrets, right? Because we want to do God's will. We want to follow God's will. But sometimes we have questions like, what is God's will? How do we accomplish God's will for my life? And then we start asking a very deep question. Is God's will even good? Because there is a school of thought, and there are preachers out there that will tell you that God's will is for you to own a Lexus or a BMW and to live in a mansion and to fly in a jet and for you to always prosper because you are the head and not the tail, and you are always live victorious, and you're always supposed to be having a great married life, and everything's supposed to be perfect. And, and, and there are people that kind of preach. We call this prosperity gospel. Name and claim it kind of thing where, where nothing ever goes wrong when you're living in the will of God. And here's what I'll say that I've learned about God's will. Good is not always God's will, but God's will is always good. And it's hard sometimes because people do get sick. People do lose jobs. Our country does go through turmoil. But yet, you and I are still called to follow God's will. But what is God's will? What is divine direction? Glad you asked. Let's go to Joshua chapter number six. Notice if you would, we're just going to look at six verses tonight. Just six verses because I believe that six verses is more than enough for us to meditate on this week. 
Notice if you would, verse number one, here's what the scripture says. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Before the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up every man straight before him. Please skip down to verse number 20 if you have a Bible. It says, so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. I love that. I love this passage. I love the book of Joshua. I think there's so much in this book to unpack. I think there's so much here for us to grasp this evening because we all have some walls that we want to see fall down in our lives. We all have strongholds that we want to pull down. We all have these cities in our lives that we want to accomplish, these things that we want to do. There's all of us have a wall that we're facing. But yet we're stepping back and saying, okay, where's God's will in this wall? I mean, I'm coming up against this wall, and is this God's will? I mean, I'll, I'll get fully invested. I mean, I'll propose to this girl if I know it's God's will. I, I will say yes to my boss, and I'll move to Kansas if that's God's will. Yes, I, I can get on board, but I want to know, is this God's will? Because this wall is here, but is this wall God's will? I want to know that. I want to know. Because I got this wall, and this is a big wall. This is a strong wall. This is tough. This is the city of Jericho. I mean, this city was the first fortress that was protecting the lands that were promised to the children of Israel. And this is not just some little city. This is a fortress. This is a city that would daunt and scare the children of Israel. This was a large city, a city that would be hard to tackle. And here's the children of Israel. They don't have siege weapons. They don't have trebuchets, battering rams. They don't have way, ways to besiege this city. They're not trained for that. These are former slaves that for 400 years, they helped build up Egypt. They helped build things. They're not warriors. They're not trained for this. But here, God is approaching them, and God is saying, here's a wall, and you guys are going to make it fall down. And maybe God's put a wall in your life. And maybe you say, no, no, no. I, I know God's will is clear for me. It's just, man, I'm a little bit intimidated to go about it. I'm just a little bit nervous. I'm a little bit scared. You say, Pastor, what do I do when I'm facing a wall? Well, I want you to see something in verse number two that I think is so profound. Because you are going to have walls. But I want you to see something in verse number two. The Bible says, and the Lord said to Joshua, would you take a pen or a highlighter and circle the word said? And then I want you to get this. And if this is all you get tonight, this is worth the price of admission right here. Walls can't stand against God's word. You say, what did Joshua have? What, what brought down the wall? What was it that brought it down? Was it their, those trumpets? I mean, did they, did they emit something that just kind of caused the ground to shake and it was the right frequency? What brought down the walls? Was it their shouting? Oh, it was because they had seven priests there. Maybe it's the seven priests. You know, there's seven. To, that's, that's a good number. Seems like a lucky number, right? Maybe it's that. No, it wasn't. They had a word from God. More specifically, Joshua had a word from God. Today, I meet more and more Christians that are doing things, making decisions, and you ask them, why did you do that? And they say, I don't know. Are you kidding me? You and I are called to have a word from God. Joshua didn't decide to march around the city of Jericho for fun. He didn't just tell his people, hey, guys, I got this great idea how we're going to take this city. Here's how we're going to take this city. Gather around. You're going to love my plan. My plan is we're going to walk around the city. Okay, Joshua, is that so we can kind of find out any weak points in the walls? No. Oh, 
Really, Joshua? That's, that sounds kind of crazy. Why would we walk around the wall? Because that's the word God gave me. Joshua is a crazy man unless God had given him this word. You and I are going to look foolish to the world unless we know we've got a word from God. Yet you and I are making decisions, and then we get discouraged, and we stop. Why? Because we did not hear from God on that. No matter what decision God poses to you, you need to have a word from God. You need to know that you heard from God. I know what you may be thinking. Well, pastor, I would, I would totally, totally do what God says. But you need to understand, pastor, I, I just don't have the mind of Christ. I, I just, I don't know what God is trying to tell me. I just wish that God would just tell me what his word is. Like he would just give it to me. My friend, he did. Do you know Josh had less of a revelation than you and I have? We have a complete revelation. Joshua had an incomplete revelation. You have all of God's knowledge that you want to possess. As a matter of fact, you and I are swimming in an ocean of God's word, but yet we don't drink of it. We can drown ourselves in the depths of this word, but yet we don't even dip our toes in its water to saturate our thirst on a Monday morning or a Monday evening or a Tuesday. We are neglecting the word that God has given us. My friend, do you think that this is just some book that the world sees? This is some book I just buy on Amazon or buy at some bookstore. It's just nice to have to check off my Christian duty so people know that I've got a little bit of a word. No, you and I are going to be faced with decisions. And we need divine direction. We've got walls that need to come down. But you don't go after walls unless you have a word from God. You don't marry that person unless you've got a word from God. You don't leave that church until you've got a word from God. Hey, you don't... Divorce that person unless you've got a word from God. Hey, you don't leave an area until you've got a word from God. Today, we have stopped asking to hear a word from God. we got to get back to saying, you know what, I need to hear from God. I don't want to make a decision without knowing that I heard from God. Because God's going to call me to some places. God's going to call me to do things that otherwise everybody else is going to say, that's, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of out there. Yeah, but I heard from God. I know what God has called me. You see, you need a word from God. A long time ago, I say a long time ago, it's probably, oh, maybe 10 years ago, my, my wife and I were doing young adult ministry. And there was a former Marine who was with one of our young adults, and his name was Matt Lysick, and he told me something. He said, you know, in the Marines, we have a creed. It's called the Rifleman's Creed. Any Marines in here? Any of you know the Rifleman's Creed? He said, I'm going to change the creed from my Bible. See, the Rifleman's Creed is an interesting creed because it goes like this. It says, this is my rifle. There are many like it, but this is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I master my life. My rifle without me is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. And then Matt pulled me aside and he said, you know, I took that Marine Creed that was drilled into us in basic, and then he opened up his Bible, and he said, I exchanged one word, the word rifle, for the word Bible. And he said, this is my Bible. There are many like it, but this is mine. This is my Bible. I must master it as it masters me. We've come to a day and age where we are wondering, what is God's will? And God's like, really, why? I've given you my word. And my word should be sufficient for you to go and take down walls. My word should be enough. In Luke 5, when Peter got out of the boat, did Peter walk on water? Many of us would say, yes, Peter walked on water. I would say, no, he didn't walk on water. He walked on the word because he said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come out on the water. And the Lord said, simply come. And it was on that word that Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. It was the word that he walked on. It was his faith in the word of God. He moved forward. You and I are going to be faced with situations where we have to say, God, I've got your word on this where you're going to go through a tough time in your marriage and you're going to say to your spouse, we were called together and I've got God's word on this. We're going to fight through this. We're going to make it 
through this difficult time. As a church, our word is forward for the year. I believe it was the word that God gave me. And I know when I got that word, I thought that is crazy because we're going through a pandemic. We're going through a setback. We're going through a difficult time. It's turmoil in our country. There's unrest in our county. It's very difficult to be a pastor. It's very difficult to push forward. And every week, it seems like Satan has tried to fight us. This week, our church trailer got stolen, which normally is empty, normally no big deal. But somehow, some way, there was about $10,000 that was put into the church trailer. Now, glory to God, the same day, God gave it all right back. But I'm just trying to tell you, it's amazing how Satan will try to stop you when you get a word from God. When you get a word from God, it's amazing the things that will come into your life where you say, man, I, I, I thought... I thought we would hear that marriage series, and all of a sudden our marriage would be doing better. And now it seems like we're arguing even more. Man, we decided to live for God, and how come it seems like it's getting harder? When you've got a word from God, that's where we push forward. You see, today I meet a lot of people that are easily offended. Today it seems like people are just a little bit more on edge. And I understand You can't lock people away, lock people down, tell them they can't go out to eat, tell them they can't spend time with their family. Uh, My my family, we went out to IHOP for the first time indoor dining this year, and now we're three months into the year, and I was like, this is weird. First time the family's together for dinner? This is odd. We didn't really know what to do. We were just, like, staring at each other, like, this is weird. I mean, like, wow, should we put a mask on in between shoes? Like, what, this is crazy. And you put people in that situation, it just seems like everybody's on edge, even the Christians. Not as forgiving, not as merciful, not as gracious. You know why that is? The psalmist says this, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What's happening? Christians aren't in the book. I I don't expect... I don't expect people that don't know Jesus to have a word from God, but I do expect people that know Jesus, that know him and love him, to have a word from him. And if you're going to take down walls, you're going to need to march forward on a word. So what's your word for your walls? What is it? What is God saying to you? Because it's real easy to have an opinion about something. Everybody's got an opinion. It's real easy to criticize. Every single one of us have the gift and the fruit of criticism. We all have that gift. We all can criticize like nobody's business. We don't need more of that. But where's the person that says, I've got a word for my walls? Hey, don't talk to me about your dreams. Don't talk to me about your goals. Don't talk to me about your plans. Don't talk to me about your skill set. Tell me about the word that you got from God. Tell me about what God is speaking to you over your marriage. Tell me about what God is speaking to you about the church. Tell me what God is speaking to you about your parenting. Tell me what God gave you in that morning devotion, that evening devotion. Tell me about the word because the world doesn't need our intellect. The world doesn't need our charity. The world doesn't need our, our just the fact that hey we're open we're in person what the world needs is some people they have a word from God this evening do you have a word from God has God spoken to you that's what the world needs the world needs Christians that have a word from him directly from him but yet today we don't spend time seeking God and saying Lord I need to know what your word for my life is what's your word for your walls the Bible says in John 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You have Logos and Ramos. This is the Word of God, and it's not just the Word of God. It's the Word of God for you. The Word of God breathes life into a dead situation. It's the Word of God that has the power. It's not my word. It's not your word. It's his word that comes down to us. And it's that word that was given to Joshua. And it was on that word that Joshua said, we march around these walls. It seems crazy, but this is what God has given us. That we march not just on the first day, not just the second day, not just the third and fourth and fifth and sixth day. But we march. And on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. And then we're going to blow the trumpet. And that's when the walls are going to fall. You see, Joshua knew that this is a crazy plan, but I've got to follow the word. What's your word for your walls? We have too many Christians with no word. The Bible says my people die for lack of knowledge. How much time are we spending in the word of God, seeking its pages? 
You see, God's word, let it get in you as you get in the word. Let it purify you. Let it quicken you. Let it make you alive. You say, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm down. I don't know what to do. Then it's time to get in God's word and say, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. It's real easy to point fingers. It's real easy to judge. It's real easy to criticize what's happening in the world. Instead of stepping back and saying, God, show me your word. Your word gives life. Your word shines a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. I've got to have your word. Christian, if you get nothing else, you and I need to be people of the word. There used to be a people called the Bereans who searched the scriptures daily. They wanted to know the truth. What happened to the Bereans in our society? What happened to the Bereans in our church? Because we're so easily led astray. We don't know what God's word says. We don't know its truth. We haven't hidden them in our heart to keep them. It says, write them upon the table of in your heart. Put them on the front like eyelids. Keep them there. God's word is so special, so sacred. You see, the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation. It's the doom of sinners. It's the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and it's the Christian's charter. Here too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred context. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. What's the word for your walls, my friend? Do you have a word? No more do we make decisions based on our will. We make decisions based on the word. What's your word that God has called you to? What's he speaking over your life? What's he speaking over your family? What is God's word saying to you? I'm tired of Christians that live by emotions where we're constantly needing to be propped up. I'm tired that we've got to live by the fact that we have to have somebody to call us and say, hey, you going to church? You going to church? You living right? You doing right? How about we just say, I've got a word from God and that's enough to motivate me. That's enough to fire me up. That I've got God's word and we're going to march around my walls. We're going to see the walls come down. But if you're going to see the walls come down, understand, your walls can't stand against God's word. But then notice this, your walls can't stand against God's will. Back to verse 2, the Bible says, and the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua got a word from God. He heard from God. Are you hearing from God? Better question might be, are you listening to God? It's easy to listen to CNN, Fox News. It's easy to listen to your friends and your family, your spouse, who are you listening to? Who are you turning, tuning into? Who's influencing your spirit and your demeanor? You see, your walls can't stand against God's will. The Bible said in this same verse, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, the king and the mighty men of valor. There's a problem between verse 1 and verse 2, though. In verse number one, we see the Bible says that Jericho was straightly, I mean, they shut this thing up. It's on lockdown. It's in quarantine. This is, they think there's a pandemic going on, a pandemic. It's, this is worse. They've got it locked down. Nobody goes in, nobody comes out. And this isn't just a quarantine for 10 days. They were just shut down, man. So how come God's saying to Joshua, hey, look, I've given you the city. As Joshua's looking at the city saying, Man, it doesn't look like you've really given it to me. The gates are locked. I don't have a key. There's soldiers on the wall. I, they look trained. Ours aren't necessarily trained. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about given. It's kind of like if I took you to the car dealership at Capital Automall, and I took you over to the Chevy dealership and I said, hey, you see that Corvette over there, that Chevy? I'm giving it to you. You're like, yeah, pastor. I know you're saying you're giving it to me. 
but I kind of think the salesman expects me to at least put a down payment on it or something. That's how Joshua may have been feeling right here. Like, God, I hear you saying you're giving it, but I'm not seeing it. This is what I call a vision collision. You're seeing something that doesn't quite line up. It's a vision collision. It's, God, I know you said that you can give the fruit of peace, long joy, suffering, and meekness and gladness. I know you said that you can give uh, this, this, this joy, this never-ending joy. I know you said it, God. I know you said these things, but God, I don't see it. So what do I do when my vision is now in collision? In those moments, you have to trust that God's will is, is the fact that these walls can't stand against it. And so that's in that moment you are then saying, God, I'm going to trust you. Because too often we assume that every time something's God's will, it means that God is going to either A, lead us away from it, that God is going to lead us so we don't have to go through it because we think that's how God's will operates it. But understand this, God didn't lead them away from the Red Sea. God didn't remove the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They went through it. And in this situation, God is saying, hey, I'm going to do something here. Many of you, you're saying, there's things that are shut up in my life, and I, I think God said it. I just, I just don't know. And this is where maybe you're hung up. You're like, I, I don't know. I'm looking at this situation. I'm looking at this wall in my life. It seems like it's impossible. And I think God's given me a word for it. I think this is his will. But I'm just not sure if I can get there. I'm just not sure if it'll work. You know something? And this is hard. We don't follow God's will because we think it'll work. We follow God's will because we obey God. Obedience is up to me. Outcome is up to him. But yet that's our problem. We're saying, God, I'll do your will if it'll work. And God's like, that's not how it works. That's not how I'm going to do it. You obey first, and you wait and see what happens. You will only go so far in your Christian life as your faith will allow you. That's as far as you go. You never go farther than your faith will let, will let you. Some of you have stopped right on the edge of where your faith is. You say, my faith is just right here. My faith is just like, man, I go to church. I don't read the word. I don't share my faith. I'm not growing in Christ. That's as far as my faith goes. Your faith stops at CNN. As soon as you hear the news, holy cow, man, nope, not leaving the house. Your faith stops right, man, we don't have enough of the paycheck, can't obey God and be financially responsible toward him. Nope, that's where your faith stops. Oh, I'm called to witness, called to tell my coworkers and loved ones about Jesus, but guess what? Nope, I'm nervous. That's where your Christian life stops. You only go so far as your faith allows because too many of us are saying, well, if God's will, if there's a guarantee that this will work, then I'll follow his will. And God's like, nah. -uh. God says, I've given it to you, and you'll see if my will works when you step out, when you start marching. Let's be honest, how many of us day three walk around that wall, we'd be like, Joshua, peace, I'm out, I'm not doing this. I haven't seen one rock fall off that wall. I haven't seen one little crack grow. All I see is we just march around this wall, we're just going in circles. Joshua, I don't know if this plan's going to work. Too many of us, that's what we do in life. But we need to stop and say, God, help me to see as you see things. Help me to obey in spite of what I see. You see, everything in your life is going to be locked up. And that is actually a good thing. You say, what do you mean that's a good thing? Let me go back to the beginning of verse number one. Notice it says, and they straightly shut up Jericho. But why did they shut up Jericho? Verse one answers our question. Because of Israel. Put it up on the screen. Can you do that, Alvin? Can you put up verse 1 on the screen? I need people to see it because I think we don't see what God's word is trying to say. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Hold up. Hold on now. Just a second. They shut down the city because they were actually afraid of Israel. 
You see, nothing in your life that is shut up is because God's trying to punish you. It could be that Satan's actually afraid of you. Hold up, that's a powerful thought. Maybe that's the thought you needed tonight. It could be the very fact that you think, man, this is too great, this is too big, I can't do it. It could be like Satan is like, oh no, here comes Southridge. Lock it down, shut it down, find them, split them, divide it, get their trailer. It's normally empty, but I'm gonna make sure there's some stuff in there. Do whatever you can to stop them because Easter's coming and you know what that church does on Easter Sunday because you know what I did on Easter Sunday and all of a sudden we better lock it down right now because Satan is more afraid of a Christian who's got a word from God then he's afraid of anybody else because we are Christians we have a church that says we're by the word it's why we opened up before other churches opened up because we said we got a word this wasn't some trick we're not trying to be edgy we're not trying to be political we had a word from God our church fasted prayed we had revival and we said God we've got to hear from you we've got to know that this isn't a political statement that this is a Jesus statement this is what God has called us to and this is what we do and it could just so be that your life you say God why are you hurting me why are you punishing me and God's like what are you talking about you said you were a soldier you said you wanted to take down things you said you wanted to take a city well this is what happens when you step out then the enemy says oh lock it down here comes Israel oh here comes that family oh here comes that dad who's doing family devotions oh here comes that mom who prays over her children every morning at 4 30 in the morning oh here comes that teenager guarding their purity wanting to live right oh here comes that man, young man with a calling on his life wants to be a preacher here comes that people we better lock it down make it hard on him because I got to stop him right here and right now and that's where that's where Satan wins because a lot of us are blaming God that the city shut up. A lot of us are like, God, come on, if you gave it to me, then just open up. And God's like, oh, no, you got to understand something. They're afraid of you, Joshua. They've been afraid of you for 40 years. For 40 years, they've been afraid. They've been afraid because they had heard about what Israel had done to the other kings. Read Joshua chapter number 5. Go ahead and go back in the scripture. You can see. So God, you're saying, God, remove it. And God's like, I don't always remove it. I part it, I do something. But understand this, verses 2 through 5, God gives clear instruction. Some of you are like, man, if God would just give me clear instruction. Friend, God has given you clear instruction. Hebrews chapter number 9, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as manner as some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. I think that's pretty clear instruction to gather together as the body of Christ. You say, but we can gather together, just 25%. I was invited to an amazing man's wedding last week, Angel. My wife and I were invited. They had an attendance cap. But it would have been interesting if once I stepped up there, they said, hey, good, the Ermler family is here. Guess what, Pastor Micaiah? Your wife can come in, but you have to stay out. But guess what? Your family can come in. Did my family go to that wedding? If I had to stay out, did my family go to the wedding? Come on, talk back to me. I know we lost an hour of sleep, but we're just not that bad. Come on, talk back to me. No, the family was not there. If only part of the church can worship, can the whole church worship? No. Folks, do we see the lie that we fought, fell for? We fell for, oh man, well, well guess what? 20% get to meet, that's good. So, so out of a family of 10, two of you get to go to the church, the rest of you got to stay home? Is that how God intended it? You see, we need to have a word from God because otherwise Satan corrupts our thinking. Oh, well, we need to be nice neighbors. We need to do this. And I know some of you may be like, oh, here he goes, political statement. No, no, I'm just trying to say, are we in the book? Are we just saying, what, what does God's word say? Are we just searching the scripture and saying, God, what have you called us to? What have you called your church to? Because God is giving clear direction. God gives, God gives clear direction for our purity. God lays it out for this generation. For this is the will of God that you abstain from fornication, okay? God lays out what personal purity should be for every person here. And he even says in Thessalonians, this is the will of God. He spells it out for us. God's will. Sometimes we think, well, God's will, if he just gave clear direction. No, he gave very detailed direction. God will give you detailed direction if you will seek him. God lays out his plan because God's will comes clearly. God's will also costs dearly, but God's will counts immeasurably. Oh, my friend, today we're setting limits on God's will. We're setting limits on what he can do in our life. We're saying, God, you can work here and you can go no further. But understand this. Decisions become easier when you please God, when, when your will to please God becomes greater than your desire to please yourself. Let me say it again. Decisions become easier 
when your will to please God becomes greater than your desire to please yourself. You say, well, pastor, I'm just pleasing my family. I'm going to say something, then I hope it rubs you raw. I hope it steps on your toes and makes you think about it the rest of this week and makes you mad at me. I want you to curse out the devil. Some of you are saying, well, no, I'm doing this because of my boss or because of my family. Listen to me. You are not doing it because of your family or because of your boss. You're listening to them because you want them to like you. It's actually all about you. It always comes back to you. I just want everybody to like me and accept me. We all want that. I talked to a mentor this week because ministry is hard because you've got to make decisions that not everybody's going to agree with and not everybody's going to be happy with. And I told him, I said, man, this is so hard being a pastor. And he's like, you know, you didn't get into the pastorate because you wanted everybody to like you. And then he said this, you want everybody to like you? Go sell ice cream. Ain't nobody not like the ice cream man. Everybody likes the ice cream man. He said, if you want everybody to like you, go sell ice cream. But the moment you have a word from God, all of a sudden that splits and that makes an enemy. And that's going to, because the Bible cuts. The Bible is rightly dividing. The Bible is separating truth from error, right from wrong, sin from righteousness. That's what the word does. And we live in a society that now wants to rewrite the Bible. If they're coming after Dr. Seuss, guess what? They're coming after the Bible. You think, no, they wouldn't. Oh, are you kidding me? Are they really offended by Dr. Seuss? They're not. They're not. Are they really offended by Peter Pan? They're not. This is the beginning where it's a slow, uh, methodic march to all of a sudden to rewrite scripture. And there's a lot of Christians that are already happy in the name of, I want to be liked. I want everybody to agree with me. Friend. We need to get back to, we've got a word from God, and we're going to follow his will, no matter how uncomfortable and how difficult it may be. But in the last few minutes, we, I, I, not nearly enough time. You say, man, I, I still got mountains. I got these things that need to fall in my life, and I need, I got these things that are going on. You say, but how do, how do these walls fall? You know, there's something bigger that stands in the way of the will of God than a wall. You know that, right? There's something bigger that stands in the way of the walls falling in your life. There's one thing that is bigger than the wall. And each one of us have it inside of us. I remember when my third son was born, I saw he had it. I remember when my second son was born, he got a double portion of it. I remember when my daughter was born. She got all of her moms in there. It's all there. All you got it. You say, what gets in the way of the wall? Your will. Before the wall ever falls down, your strong will must fall first. God cannot use you, no matter how much he would love to use you, until you say, God, here is my will. And I lay it at your feet. Turn with me quickly, please. Joshua chapter 5, one verse. One chapter prior. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord, he calls him Lord, it's a posture of submission. He physically falls, but then he calls him Lord. What is he doing? He's saying, hey, if those walls are going to fall, my strong will has to fall first. Hey, I'm German. We try to take over the world twice and fail. We got a strong will, man. We're always trying to get our way. You have a strong will. You say, no, I'm passive. I'm meek. Everybody likes me. You got a will. 
we can march over to the Ridge Kids and go in a nursery, and there will be kids right now, I guarantee it, they're fighting over some toy because even at six months old or a year old, they're fighting. They got that will. You've got that will, and it's getting in the way of the walls falling. It's getting in the way of God's work being done here on earth. It's your will that needs to be placed on the altar and say, God, break my will. God, take my will. Use me as you see fit. It's not my life. It's yours. God, I give it back to you. I place it at your feet. But too often we hold on to our will. We prioritize our will over God's will. And let's be honest, we do. We prioritize it in our schedule. We schedule out God. You say, I don't have time for God. Pastor, I would love to spend an hour or two like you can. Because, Pastor, you can reorient your schedule around to fit. Understand, folks, I'm a busy man like you're busy. I got three kids. They're in school. We've got a job. We've got to stay physically active. We've got other things that we're doing. I could show you my schedule. It goes and goes. Not, it, and there's not an hour that's not scheduled, that's not booked. Every minute, yes, I'm busy. You're busy. I can't wait for the moments I could just lay down. You say, what do you like to do on your day off? Sit and do nothing. Just lay down. Just close my eyes. That's what I like to do. I did that on Friday. I laid down, closed my eyes, and there was a knock at the door. I got a beautiful husky that must hate me because she escapes. And I was thinking, you got to be kidding me. What do you not like about your home? We feed you. We care about you. And then she licks and kisses my face. And I was like, good thing you're cute. Otherwise, to the pound with you. But then they close because of the pandemic. So never mind, you're safe for now. It's our will. And you say, I can't prioritize it. Understand, we must prioritize these things that are important. If, if you say, well, well I, I just can't, I just can't do it. No, it's our will. We've got to change it. We've got to say, no, Lord, I'm going to make time for these things. Can you please write this down? God's will is more of an attitude than an itinerary. It's a heart posture. It's an attitude towards God. It's saying God can interrupt my plans. God can interrupt my schedule. God, you could just do whatever you want because, God, your will is an attitude, not an itinerary. And some of us think that if God would just give us an itinerary like your secretary or like your assistant just gives you an itinerary, it would be so much easier. But what God is looking for you is an attitude. That's why when he told the, 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 the Israelites that if a Roman soldier comes to him and says, hey, carry my backpack, and he says, go with them a mile, go with them too. He says, if somebody hits you on the cheek, give, let him have the other cheek. If somebody asks for your coat, give him another coat. What is he talking about? It's the posture. It's the attitude. What is lacking in Christian culture is that we're adopting cancel culture. You wear masks? Well, guess what? I think that's fake news, and you're stupid. Oh, you don't wear a mask? Guess what? I think you're fake news, and you're stupid. What? Are we not in the household of faith? Can we drop that? Can we just say, if you wear a mask, God bless you. I'll put on a mask if you want me to. If you don't want me to wear a mask, I'm fine. We're, just not, we're not gonna let the drama in the church. Can we just agree that the drama can hit those doors and stay there? The drama just stays there, but we are the children of God. We've got a mission that is higher than any other mission that is leading people to find and follow Jesus. And Easter is coming where we're gonna be able to reach tens and thousands. And so I'm not gonna shame somebody because they wear a mask. I'm not gonna make anybody feel uncomfortable because they don't wear a mask. I'm gonna sanitize like there's no tomorrow. I've even We made masks with the church name on it we're even just trying to say hey let's be careful with what we can but when you too many times we in the church is getting divided by this pandemic you say I don't see it I see it I got pastors this past week calling me out I got a friend sending me a text message said hey look at you and your wife you're on this this blog for this conference I was like oh what a blessing that's great but our calling is too high for this, to get wrapped up in these things. The calling that God has on our church is too great. We're not going to stop. There's too much at stake for us to stop. There's too much because there are walls that need to come down. But first, we must humble ourselves. But I want you to see this. Joshua's confident in chapter 6, isn't he? He lays out the instructions. They go and everybody does it. Everybody obeys to a T. And we see in verse 20, and they take the city. Can I tell you this? Confidence is a byproduct of courage. Joshua had to be courageous first. Where did the courage come from? Joshua chapter number one, verse number nine. My brother, you just shared it with me right before church. Be strong and of a good courage. We lack courage in the church today. Everybody wants confidence because confidence makes you look better. 
Confidence will make you look 30 pounds lighter. That's what confidence does to you. Confidence always looks good on you. And everybody wants confidence, but everybody thinks confidence is a new pair of shoes, a new thread, or a little bit more money in the bank account, or a nicer car. That's not where confidence comes from. Confidence comes from courage. It's a byproduct of your courage. As you say, hey, I step forward in faith and God blesses. That's where my confidence comes from because I'm walking on the word. That's where our confidence is. But the church has lost its confidence because it all stems from we're not courageous enough to step out and say, God, I've got a word from you. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going to follow. And I'm not going to give up until we see that word accomplished. And it may take seven years, eight years, ten years. I know I've got a word from God about our church. And at times I want to give in to doubt. I want to give in to frustration. But then I've got to go back to the word that God gave me. That upon this rock I will build my church. So it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who gets upset or who comes or who goes. Because God has given a word to the church that it's his church. His bride, he'll handle it, he'll take care of it, he'll raise it up, and we keep moving forward by the grace of God. We're not here to stop, church. We're not here to quit. We're not here when it gets tough. You say, well, I got, I got the devil breathing down my back. He's just right there, just breathing down my back. Yes, exactly. That's where he's supposed to be. What did Jesus say to the devil? Get behind me, Satan. So if he isn't breathing down your back, you haven't told him to get behind you. You haven't told him, yeah, you belong in the back, the cheap seats. Get back there. That's where you belong because we're going forward. We're marching forward. Get back and coach. I'm in first class. Get out of here. This is where we're going. This is what we're called to. And we need a church that once again says, God, we're going to be courageous. Because this is the time for the church to be courageous. This is not a time for us to roll over and say, well, you know what? I just need a, I just need a nice little feel-good message. I could have done that. Come on. We all know we've heard better messages out of Joshua 6. Messages just fire us up and just kind of give us, the, give us the feels. And we just want those feels. We just want to walk out of here all inspired and that we don't know what wall we're taking down. No, no, no. Now we know we need to have a word from God. And that means we got to work in his word tomorrow. That means I better set the alarm clock a little bit early. That means I better have the journal right next to the Bible with the pen, with the highlighter, so when God gives me the word, I can write the word down, and then I'll rip out the page, and I'm going to stuff it in my pocket, and I got that word with me the rest of the day. So when I encounter the boss, when I encounter the spouse, when I encounter the situation, I pull out that word because I got my word. I know what God's called me to. That's divine direction. The problem is we want mind direction, not divine direction. No longer is it thy will, it's my will be done. And let's be honest, church. Many of us need to hit the altar after the church service and say, God, I got to leave this there. Because it's been all about me, not about you. And we need to just humble ourselves before God. Not, not me, this is not me. This is saying, God, if you're going to use me, then guess what? I have to be like a Joshua. You want to know humbling? You want to know true submission? Go read the beginning of Joshua chapter number 5. They sharpened some flint knives. Go study it out for yourselves what they did to all the men with the flint knives. Not a very pleasant experience. But all of a sudden, they, God was getting his people ready to do something. God is getting his church ready to do something. God is saying, I've got to prepare you. What walls have you stopped walking around? What works have you stopped working on? Has your will replaced God's will? God has a divine direction for each and every one of us. But yet the church has stepped back and we're just like, come on, let's just get along. Let's just kind of just take it easy. Come on, pastor. I heard you got pie. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. I hear you. I hear you. But there needs to come a point where we say, I don't just wait for my pastor to give me a word. I don't just wait for my wife to give me a word. I go directly to the source and I go get a word. My wife bought me a hydro flask. She said, stop buying water bottles. Go fill up your hydro flask. I was like, that's a good idea. I'm saving the environment and I got an expensive bottle thing. It's pretty cool. Put stickers on it. It's great. You know, that thing's empty unless I fill it. Your life is empty unless you feel it. You say, well, pastor, that's why I come to church so you can feel it. And that's why you barely get here on Sundays. Because you're just dragging on empty. Like, oh, my goodness. My flies are so empty. I just need a little bit. Come on, pastor, just give me something. Oh, that wasn't even worth getting up out of 4.30 to go. I'm going back to my nap. 
could have watched Osteen on TV for that, man. Come on. You got to fill up on Jesus every day. You got to have a word. Because guess what? There's going to be somebody next to you that they're going to need to hear that word. I can't tell you how many times where I'm so thankful that somebody got a word and they reached out to me. Oh, this week was a rough week. I can't even go into all the details of a rough week. And right after a conversation that was really intense, really difficult, all of a sudden I got an email from somebody in the church. And I was just like, isn't God good? God will just put things in your lap. He'll just put things. I'm so glad that that person responded to the impulse of the Spirit right when they did, right when they sent it. You and I need to hear from God. Let's be a church that just hears from God. They can fault us from whatever they want. Music too loud, music too quiet, music is this. Hey, y'all, we haven't had our actual worship band in probably three months. We're borrowing Premier Baptist Church's worship band. Not a single one of those are ours. Our, our, worship, our worship band, we don't have one. We haven't had one for months. I thank God for Premier every single week. I thank God for Angel and Stephanie and Hafet and Kevin. I thank God for all of them every week. They don't have to. They already did two services today. They already had a bunch of church, and then they come back and they come do it all again for us. And with the energy and the quality that they do it, I'm just like, wow, guys, that's incredible. Hey, we haven't had the staffing to do Rich Kids. I got a text this week. Somebody said, hey, I want to go back to church. I want to go back to church. And I said, hey, why don't you volunteer so we could do Rich Kids? Well, no, I just, I, I want somebody else to do that. I'm so thankful for the people that have a word from God and say, hey, I'm going to get invested. I'm going I'm to give and I'm going to serve. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But we need people, once again, that say, I've got a word, and that we're going to march forward on that word. And yes, it's going to be difficult. And yes, there's going to be cities that are shut up against us. But that's what the church is called to. The Bible says, for the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But what's amazing is the church has stopped rattling the gates. The devil doesn't even see churches coming anymore because he knows, I've got you guys scared of the gates. Why is it that I go work out at my CrossFit gym and next to me is an out and out atheist. We're doing push-ups together and he's saying, hey, is your church open? I said, yeah, man, church been open since June. He said, why aren't the other churches open? And I said, that's a good question. He's like, I'm an atheist and I think the churches should have a right to be open. And I was like, wow, I think you are a little bit more spiritual than some other people. Hey, if God can give a word to a donkey... We got children in here. I got another word for a donkey. You're thinking it too. Guys, I need to pray for you. What's the church doing? This is our moment. Easter's three weeks away. Yeah, we're going to go after as many people as we can. Yeah, we're going to go see people saved and baptized. Yeah, what do you think, the, what do you think a pastor's going to do? I can't watch more people committed suicide. I can't watch it anymore. And neither should any Christian just let it just sit. This is our hour. This is the moment. But we go forward on a word, not a whim. Not a whim, a word. We're not driven about by every wind of doctrine. That's not us. We don't go by whims and whims. We go by a word. And if you ever have a question like, hey, what's the word? I've got the word. It's forward. Not fast forward, just forward. I told the church, there are moments we feel like stopping. We'll go slow, but we can't stop. We can't stop. You see, why can't you stop? Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have stopped it in a moment, Rod. In a moment, he could have shut it down. He could have said, no, nah, I'm pull the nails right out, throw those nails right out those Roman soldiers' feet, said, nah, heal his own body, just heal it. If he could raise the dead, just heal it. Take that crown off, said, forget this. Forget this. Give me some water. Give me my robe back. I'm gambling at the feet of the cross over my robe. My mom knit this. Get that, put that robe back on. I'm out. I don't mean to make light of that situation. What I'm trying to say is he didn't quit. And he's our example. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But the church, woefully, we just want to, come on, Pastor, just give me a little good sermon. Just give me some good worship. We're just kind of, just, you know, we just stay in the motions. We're not a motion church. Let me say it again. We're not an emotion church. That's not us. 
we're a word-based church. We say, yeah, this is what the word says, this is what we do. This is it. You say, man, why isn't it, why isn't the big churches, man, making the splash? Why isn't it, man, that, that, why isn't the big name pastors, those, those guys that are leading the charge, why has it got to be us? Why has it got to be us that's got to fight? Why do we got to be the ones to lawyer up? Why do we got to be the ones to push back in the county? And this week, as I got into the Bible, 1 Corinthians says, not many noble are called. Not many mighty are called. Do you understand? God said, I didn't call them to do it. I didn't call the Rick Warrens and the Joel Osteens and the other name, you name it, to do it. I called Southridge Church to do it. I called my warriors up, the people that nobody else knows about. I called my David out of the cave of Agilom. That's who I called because those are the ones that answer. Those are the ones that says, hey, you want me to go around this wall seven times? Seven times it is. The seventh day, seven times. Seventh day, seven times. However many you want me to go, I'll do it because you guys show up. You'll show up wherever God calls you. Whatever God has given to us, our church has done it. And so don't look around and say, why isn't somebody else? No, God has given the calling to us. It's our privilege to bear this cross. It's our privilege to be the tip of the spear. It's our honor to go forward. While others are sitting back, we're hitting back. We're saying, God, the gospel means more than my comfort. And if I have to be uncomfortable so we can reach one more person, then so be it. That's what we're called to. That's the mission. That's the mandate that's been given to our church. And we do it with divine direction. Everything we do. Bathe this thing in the word. We bathe it in prayer. Church, that's why we started out with 21 days of prayer and fasting in the beginning of the year. That's why the middle of last year we spent 40 days praying and fasting. We need God on this thing. I've taken too much time. Let's stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed. I'm going to invite the worship team to the platform. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that there are Jericho walls that can come down. No problem. None whatsoever. This is easy. Your word says, is anything too hard for me? Is anything? And the, the answer is obvious, equivocal. Nothing is too hard for you. You haven't exhausted your might your strength has never dissipated. You are never weak. You are never weary. And so, God, you call the church to moments like this. You call us out of the comfortable. You call us to take up our cross and to follow you. You call us to walls that intimidate others. You call us to tasks that are greater than ourselves. And we go forward, not on the whim, but on your word, God. We go forward, God, because we know that this is your will. That you want to break down strongholds. That there are those in the city of San Jose that are not free today. They live in a life of bondage. They don't know the freedom it is that is to be in Christ. And our church stands as a doorway showing them that there is life and they can have it more abundantly. And so God, we, in, we invite them in. God, we pray that you would do incredible things through us. But Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for those that are under the sound of my voice, but that God, that they would hear from you, that they would stop living by whims and once again, dive into your word that they would know what your word is calling for them. That they wouldn't make decisions based on what is popular, based on what friends or family think, or what the tides of culture tell them is true. But they've got a word from heaven, and they stand on that word. They go forward on that word. They don't back down because they've got a word from you. And may we be a church filled with people who say, I heard from heaven. I know what God's will is for my life. I know what he wants me to do. Because no wall can stand against your word. No wall can stand against your will. 
So God, tonight we humble ourselves. Tonight we surrender our will. We lay it at the feet of the cross. We, we pledge our fealty and our allegiance to you, God. No more our will, but your will be done as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. God, we, we come to you tonight, a needy people, a people that need you so desperately. And we humble ourselves before you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the worship team will sing one more song. And if you'd like to come to the altar and you would like to pray, you would like to seek God, we want to make that opportunity available to you. I know it's an old-fashioned custom to kind of slip out of your seat and to humble yourselves at the altar. I know it is. But there, remember, the will of God is not an itinerary. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of humility. So it might be that your seat may be the place to humble yourself. It might be this altar. But let us in unity humble ourselves in heart before God that we would say God would you fall fresh on me would you work in my life God would you help me to be different and in that humility the word tells us if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God he will lift us up God help us to humble ourselves pray this in Jesus name and I invite you now to We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.